Well, this morning we are starting our Easter series. Who likes Easter? Hands up. I love Easter. Easter's great. Well, we're going to be starting reading through the gospel, the last two chapters of the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew was someone who journeyed along with Jesus, and he wrote down all the things that he saw. And Andy's going to come shortly and explain it to us. But if you've got a Bible, if you've got a Bible at home, then do grab it open. If not, we're just going to read it all together so we know uh, what Andy's going to come and speak to us on. So Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to read verse 1 through to verse 23. It says this, Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people made their plans to how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw away the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. The chief priest picked up their coins and said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet, was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the, fe- at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew that it was out of self-interest that they handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. For the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They, Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Well, Andy's going to come and explain that to us. Amen. Well, thank you so much, James. Thank you for being here this morning. Isn't it lovely to uh, see each other and face to face, those of us in the building, and so great to be able to share this morning with you if you're following online. Yesterday, I just eavesdropped in on a conversation that 
And Faye was having with someone who is very dear to us, not my mum, but somebody, a maternal figure in a number of our lives. And over these last couple of years, she's not been able to remember so far back, uh, actually not at all. She can remember very far back and she can talk about things that are right now and she's still extremely wise. But it meant that I was listening in as Faye was explaining the situation and she was listening. You can't hug each other. Whose idea is this? You have to wear masks all the time. What crazy person has come up with this idea? I loved listening in on that conversation because um, all these things that we've kind of got used to as though it's some new normal, um, suddenly somebody with a real perspective is able to say, this is very unusual. And, and if you're struggling and if you're finding it hard, well, that, that's okay because it's not, it's not normal. And uh, well... We're all praying that this day will soon pass and that we'll be able to hug each other and share a, share a barbecue outside and all of those things again. But perhaps as you're tuning in this morning, if you're finding things hard, these are strange times and it's not unusual or wrong that you should be struggling because it is really challenging, isn't it? Well, this series is a wonderful series because we're going to be leading up to Easter and Easter is about when the world became as, as broken and as hopeless as it could possibly become and then becomes as bright and as open and as glorious and as full of hope as it could possibly come. It's about it becoming very, very um, dark and becoming very, very bright. It's a glorious um, curve, an amazing, surprising story that we're going to be reading. And perhaps we could pray that we'd be reading it as though we were reading it for the first time. And so today we're in Matthew chapter 27. I was talking with Dan as we were walking on the golf course at a socially distanced appropriate uh, level and uh, we were talking, I was saying that when I was younger that Matthew was kind of a, a neglected, well, Mark was a neglected gospel and we all focused on Matthew and Luke and John because there's a lot of parallels between Mark and Matthew and now with lots of great things like Christianity Explored and uh, Read, Mark, Learn and we're very getting very familiar with Mark and perhaps not so familiar with Matthew. So I think it's great that we've got now a few weeks to explore Matthew and particularly the story of Jesus's, the account of Jesus's trial, his death and his resurrection. Matthew is a very interesting character and uh, we find out something of his story in his own gospel. Let me just say that as we, this talk today, we're going to call it this. We're going to call it guilt, innocence, and the swap. Guilt, innocence, and the swap. That's the theme that's running through these next 20 minutes. And Matthew, the person who wrote the account that we're looking at for these next few weeks, well, he knew about these things. And wonderfully, in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, the gospel that he wrote, we find out how Matthew met Jesus. In the other gospels, he's referred to not as Matthew in this conversion moment, but as Levi. And that's because Matthew was part of the tribe of Levi. And if you were part of the tribe of Levi, well, you had the privilege 
of having God as your inheritance, the service in the temple as your birthright. And they didn't usually own land and properties. They, they, their um, inheritance was that they could serve the Lord, Levi or Matthew. But when we meet him in chapter 9, verse 9 of Matthew, we find that he is working in a tax collector's booth. You can see that in verse 9 if you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And as he's sitting there in this tax collector's booth, well, everyone walking past would say, look at that guilty man. Look at him. He's betrayed his people. He should be serving the God of heaven, but instead he's given it all up to try and get money. He's becoming wealthy. He's here betraying us as a nation. And he's here letting us all down. What a loser. What a waster. What a guilty man. And the righteous people would have walked past probably cursing as they went. And now here comes Jesus, the most innocent, the most, the least, the one who has no guilt. And he's walking towards Matthew and everybody thinks, well, we know how Jesus is going to write him off because Jesus is such a righteous man. And as Jesus comes close to guilty Matthew, he says, follow me. Isn't that beautiful? He says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and he follows him. You see, Matthew knew what it was to have been offered innocence, to have rejected it, instead gone for a life that brought him guilt. But then he meets Jesus and Jesus, well, somehow through meeting Jesus, an innocence comes back to his life. And then Jesus has dinner with him. Do you remember those days when we could have dinner together? And in verse 10, he's eating dinner with them. And then the Pharisees see it and they're all angry. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And that's when Jesus says in verse 12 of Matthew 9, with Matthew in, in, in the center of his focus, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. He's come to call sinners to repentance. Maybe you're tuning in this morning and you're thinking, I don't have any right to sit with this crowd of, of people. Well, actually, none of us have the right to be here. And we're reading the words of a person who too knows he has no right to be engaging with Jesus. He knows that he's a betrayer. He's one who is guilty. But he's met Jesus. And somehow, through meeting Jesus, an innocence has washed into his life. Well, that's a short introduction to our writer, to Matthew, and this morning. And we want to also just have a bit of an introduction to Matthew 27. It won't surprise you to find that Matthew 27 isn't sitting on its own. It's next to a few other chapters too. And of course, the one directly before it, Matthew 26, well, just there at the beginning of the chapter, we find Jesus a free man. But then he goes and he is anointed as though he's going to be buried it's a prophetic act by a woman who is pointing to the fact that Jesus is soon to be buried. Judas then agrees to betray Jesus. Then we find them having sharing the Last Supper together. 
That's when Jesus takes that cup and he shares it round and he takes bread and shares it round. He's pointing towards something that's about to happen. He's going to die. Then we find them in Gethsemane, that hill of the pressed olives, the olive press. And uh, there Jesus prays and he's arrested. He's dragged before the Sanhedrin or taken before the Sanhedrin. An illegal council, an illegal court convened in the night. And they decide as he speaks of the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One, they decide that he's worthy of death. And they spit at him. And perhaps even more painful than that, Peter denies that he ever knew him. And then we land into Matthew 27, where we have focused this morning. And here in Matthew 27, well, these themes of guilt, innocence, and a swap resonate through. But the reason that these themes are important aren't just because they're concepts that relate to somebody back in the past, some other story way back when. But these are questions that engage our own hearts too. You know, some of us, perhaps even last night, we couldn't sleep because things were coming back to us, things that remind us of our guilt, our wrongness. Perhaps some of us thought I would, that you were going to come this morning and then you decided, actually, I'll, I'll stay back home, I'll watch from a distance because some sense of, of guilt. Because these themes are right here, right now, as men and women thinking and struggling and working through life. And this passage speaks to us as well. So we've just had it read to us by Carl, verses 1 and 2. It's early in the morning, and now they've decided already that Jesus would die. They're now deciding how. They're going to make that happen. And so their strategy comes together. In verse 2, they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. The reason is that as an occupied place, they are not allowed to put to death a person. That ultimate sanction remains with the government that is over them. It's a way of holding them down, a way of keeping order as well. Only the highest power is allowed to give down the death sentence. And so they decide to bind Jesus and bring him over to the governor, to Pilate, because they intend to twist things so that the governor condemns him to death. Next, in verses 3 down to 10, we have the account, the heart-breaking account of Judas. Judas had spent three years right next to Jesus. But somehow, he decided to reject Jesus. He decided to grab hold of money, finance, now perhaps status now, and reject Jesus. And he'd received the payment of 30 silver coins, and he had led that party to arrest Jesus. But now, Judas is feeling utterly guilty. 
And in verse 3, he's seized with remorse and he returns the 30 pieces of silver. And you can see in verse 4 what Judas says. You see that in chapter 27, verse 4. Judas says, I have sinned. He's saying, I am guilty. For I have betrayed innocent blood. He's guilty. Jesus is innocent, he's saying. The priests don't care. And so in verse 5, because they've refused to receive the money, well, Judas just throws it into the temple. There's another account of Judas in Acts chapter 1. And I read a book that a a friend of mine who um, rejects the authority of the Bible gave to me. And he said, look, you can't trust the Bible because look at at Matthew and look at Acts chapter 1. They don't make any sense together when it talks about Judas. And it's interesting, this whole book was around this one thing and then he'd expanded it a little. But it's a very weak argument to suggest that they don't stand up against each other. You see, the priests gathered up the money, they held it and said, this isn't our money, this is Judas's money, we've got to get rid of it. Perhaps then they hear that Judas has killed himself and so they say, right, on behalf of Judas, we're going to buy this field, this potter's field. And so they buy a field and they say, it's not us buying it, It's Judas. It's not our money. It's Judas's money. It's his field. Oh, he's dead. Let's put Judas in the field. And that is how those two two accounts come together. But what is so sad is that the priests don't see their own hypocrisy. Can you see that? How they are saying, we can't touch this money. It's blood money. And yet they're the ones who had paid the money. So hypocritical, so full of their own guilt and yet blind to it. This is the terrifying thing for some of us. For some of us, we can be so convinced of our righteousness that we can manipulate rules and come up with excuses and cover up and cover up and yet our guilt runs so deep. Others just come to this place of despair like Judas. Isn't it heartbreaking? Both of those alternatives. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 27, Jesus is now before the governor. He's before Pilate. And he asks him questions. He asks him, is he the king of the Jews? And of course, the reason he's being asked, Jesus is being asked, are you the king of the Jews? is because if Jesus claims to be king of the Jews, then obviously he's rejecting the the rule of the Romans and he can be put to death. And so the priests have primed the situation so that Jesus would be put to death through this route. But Jesus doesn't say anything. And it's interesting to see in verse 14... Pilate's reaction to Jesus, but Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. The governor had had many prisoners in front of him. He'd had to deal out rough justice, hold down a a population on the verge of rebelling at all sorts of points. But he's left in amazement as he stands before Jesus. And so it looks like the governor thinks he needs to find a way to set Jesus 
free. And so he recalls a tradition, a way of kind of appeasing um, the people to make it look as though they have a bit of control when, of course, they don't have any at all. And so in verse 15, we hear about this custom. It was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. You can choose. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. And this character, Barabbas, was a person who had been involved in violence, who was a political, part of a political force, who was a dangerous, mighty man. And so you have this Jesus now standing before the crowd, silent, dignified, the one that Pilate is looking on with amazement. And then you have Barabbas, this man of, of violence who's straining at the leash to get back into the fray, who's going to bring danger and, and destruction. And Pilate thinks he knows what the crowd are going to say. He's trying to play it now. He's trying to manipulate the scene. And so the crowd is gathered in verse 17. Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Messiah means anointed king, chosen king. It's interesting, isn't it, that he's just asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And now Pilate addresses the crowd announcing that Jesus is the Messiah. And Pilate is a shrewd man. He's not got to his position by being oblivious to the motives of those around him. And it says in verse 18, for he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. And so the scene is here, it's hanging. And Matthew is a brilliant writer because he now brings in another character as we're all wondering, who are the crowd going to choose? Jesus, the one who feeds the hungry, who touches the blind eyes to open them, who raises the dead, the one who tells stories that we're all captivated by, Jesus, who brings something good, Jesus, the Messiah, or Barabbas, the one who brings destruction and violence and chaos and terror. And we're left wondering. And then verse 19, there's a message. Pilate, he's sitting on the judge's seat, this place where he has to make the decisions between the good and the bad. And a message comes from his wife. I'd imagine this is an unusual intervention. I wonder what his wife knew about Jesus. Had she heard the stories of what Jesus had done? Had she ever been in the streets as Jesus had passed by? Did some of those who served her sometimes talk to her about what Jesus had done? The amazing touch of his hands? We don't know. But this is what she says. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Back in verse um, four, Judas has said he's betrayed innocent blood. And now here is Pilate's wife, again emphasizing that Jesus is innocent and running through the thread of Pilate's objection to the death penalty is that he believes Jesus is innocent too. Is Pilate going to listen to his conscience? Is Pilate going to listen to his wife, the wisdom that she's just brought? Verse 20, Matthew returns to the scene of this heaving crowd of people. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. It's as though Pilate is trying to underline it again in verse 21. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? It's as though he can't believe what they're saying. Barabbas, they answered. And and Pilate is thinking, you can't mean this for Jesus. What shall I do then? Verse 22, what shall I do then with Jesus? And again he says, who is called the Messiah. They all answered, crucify him. Verse 23, why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. You can see Pilate is digging his heels in, not as much as he could. He has authority over these things, but he's being bulldozed by the crowd, and yet he's trying to grip on. No, but they shouted all the louder. There's no logic in their answer. They shouted all the louder, crucify him. Barabbas had started that day a man condemned to death. Barabbas had started that day a guilty man and everybody knew it. Barabbas had started that day with the destiny of that evening hanging on a cross and dying naked in front of a crowd. It was the end of his days. He'd hit the end of the buffers. Jesus was an innocent man. Everyone could see it. And yet, at the end of this passage, this man who is guilty, this man who is known for his terrorism, he walks free. The man condemned to death. And the innocent man, Jesus, whose destiny should have been different from this, is nailed to a cross. Guilty, innocent and a swap and at the end of this day Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross and Barabbas is going to be breathing the air of a free man perhaps himself dropping in on the scene of Jesus hanging there perhaps thinking to himself I should be on that cross And Jesus is there instead of me. I wonder whether Barabbas' life was transformed by this interaction with Jesus. I expect Pilate was thinking, that should have been Barabbas. And it's Jesus. And here is the heart, the center of the message of Jesus. Some of us here this morning are deeply aware of our guilt, of our wrongness. Some of us tuning in are so aware of those things that scar and mar our hearts. And it feels that there's no solution. That if there was a reckoning, 
that we'd be condemned. But the message of Jesus is that he came, the innocent one, to take the place of the guilty one, a swap. Not just for Barabbas and for his physical death, but for our lives too. Jesus is God come here. And as God comes here, he comes to take our place, to die on the cross instead of us, so that we could receive forgiveness and life. And Jesus gives to us his innocence, an innocence that we don't deserve. And Jesus takes our guilt and he pays for it on the cross. And Jesus then as the story continues, as the account continues, rises from the dead, conquering death to show that he has the authority to do this. Guilt, innocence, and a swap. I wonder where you're at this morning. Perhaps you're listening in, perhaps you've come here this morning, perhaps with a friend, and it's nice to be with other people. Um, But you're thinking, you know, this is interesting, but for me, you know, it's a nice story, but you can keep it. Well, you know, I'd say to you, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for tuning in and for having the open-mindedness to uh, think about these things with us. We really appreciate it. You know, you might want to really explore the, the whole story, all of the evidence. How about taking an account of Jesus's life. How about taking this account, Matthew's gospel, and reading through it over these next few days and just meeting with the Jesus who is there. At least then you'll be able to weigh it up in the light of the, all of the evidence. And I'd really encourage you to do that, perhaps as we approach this traditional marker in our calendar of Easter, to read over the story of Jesus for yourself. Others of us are here, and perhaps this morning we're thinking, you know, I get this, and I want this to apply to my life. I don't want to have that sense of guilt any longer, and I understand that Jesus died for me so that I could receive forgiveness and life. He died in my place, a swap, the innocent one for the guilty one. And I want that to count in my heart. And perhaps on your settee next to you at home or or here in this room, the person near you could tell you their story of how they said to Jesus, thank you that you are the one who is God here dying in my place, a swap. Please forgive me on the basis of your death and your resurrection. I trust that you died instead of me and I want to live for you now, Jesus the King. And in a moment we'll pray and perhaps some of us want to pray that for the first time. And if that's you, then please just pop a note to the church team because we'd love to be in touch and to think about these things and to help you to grow as you walk with Jesus as your King. And then others of us, we're here because we love Jesus 
and we've experienced this swap. We realize we're no more worthy than Matthew or Barabbas, and yet Jesus has died for us. And this morning we're praying that his Holy Spirit would just help us to grasp all the more deeply the wonder and the glory of his grace shown to us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus as the innocent one took the place of the guilty one, gave a swap so that we could be innocent because of what he's done. Well, let's pray before we hand back to James. Father, we thank you that we can share this morning. Thank you that you deeply know every person who's engaging with this this morning. Those of us watching from a distance, those of us even watching later on YouTube, those of us who are present here in this room. And you love each of us. You love each of us so deeply and so completely. We thank you that you deliberately stepped into history, that you deliberately allowed yourself to be nailed to that cross. You deliberately allowed yourself to be exchanged for Barabbas so that we would understand all the more clearly what it is that you have done for us as you died in our place. And some of us this morning, for the first time, we want to say that we are sorry for the way that we've been living for ourselves. We want to say, please forgive us. Thank you that you can forgive us because you died for us. We want that swap to count for us, for me. Jesus, you died instead of me. I trust that you died instead of me. And on that basis, please forgive me. Let me live as your child. Let me live with you as my king. And others of us, we are just perhaps catching a a deeper glimpse of your loving kindness, your generous, life-transforming grace. And we want that your Holy Spirit would lead us into deeper lives of worship to live for your glory. We thank you. And we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we commit each other into his loving and powerful and innocence and peace-bringing hands. Amen.